Welcome to Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national stories focusing on news, politics, and current events. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Update One. This is your host, Shannon Fisher. And today we are going to be discussing the role of political commentary in election coverage. And I've got a guest who is very knowledgeable on the topic. She is the Washington Bureau Chief of Bloomberg News, Megan Murphy. Megan, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I guess the first question for those who really aren't sure, what is the definition of a political commentator? I think the issue in terms of um, where you divide between sort of journalism and commentary is, you know, on the opinion line and on uh, pe- people who have the freedom to have informed analysis, informed opinions, uh, informed commentary on what actually is happening in the political arena that we see. I mean, we are in an election like no other, and I think what has been one of the most fascinating uh, issues that has emerged is that sort of line and where that line is drawn between reporting the facts as you see them and, and informing readers, viewers, uh, consumers of, of that content and, and commentary on what is what is happening as well. And, and, and people feel that that is under threat, under challenge, and, and it's constantly a line that, that people are walking. There don't seem to be any steadfast guidelines as to where the neutrality uh, can disappear. I mean, we've got so many different mediums, uh, so many different types of commentary. What qualifies someone to be a commentator? It seems like that standard has <laughs> proceeded dramatically in recent years. Look, there's no question that we live in an incredibly disruptive media environment, and actually the media was one of the most resistant to change, but with the rise of challengers, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on other social platforms, whether that's just man on the street, there's no question that everybody is now in the position of being a commentator because everyone can find their audience, whether that's an audience of five people, whether it's an audience of 500,000 people. Um, you only need one consumer of the content you're putting out to be a commentator. And that's it's really leveled the playing field. And I think in my career, which, you know, sadly now is quite long, you know, you, that has been one of the dramatic, dramatic shifts is that everybody's in a position where they can actually influence the debate because the chance of, of something that in a medium which otherwise wouldn't have been able to even be viewed, seen, etc., everybody has a platform. They can literally take a selfie of themselves, take a Snapchat, put it online, and people can see that. So that line no longer exists, and, 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 and it's even blurry in, in traditional media outlets as well. Sure, that is a very good point that everybody has a platform. And so you talked about being able to to influence public opinion and direction of things. As far as traditional media goes, how much of that is is allowed in commentary? Uh, How much of that is encouraged, Uh, especially in broadcast? People will have panels and will have panels of people with differing opinions. And so how much opinion do you want your commentators to bring to the table? You know, I find the the way that it's done now a very sort of traditional way where people will try and stagger almost, you know, a platform so that it has an equal number of, let's say, voices on the left, voices on the right, voices of neutrality. I think that's the way that people think that people, that is fair, that that gives at least a projection of fairness. The, the issue is, is on the consumption end of that, of the other end of the, of the channel, is that you, we see this in the increasing polarization of people and, and, and states and voters, et cetera, is that actually people are more likely to listen to a panel that is more representative of their views. What, what is interesting is that actually 
people don't want to hear a, a cacophony of voices. They are actually more inclined to be receptive, to be influenced by people who are parroting back views they agree with. And I think that's, again, one of the shifts is polarization, the entrenched um, views that people have, and this, and this really fragile middle state of actually independent voters or people who haven't made up their minds, just not in terms of politics, but almost on every issue. And consumers of this content are more likely to find traction with the views they agree with. Um, and I think that is a real challenge for, for, for the media. I think you're right. I mean, I think we all create our own echo chamber on purpose. And so, you, as you said, we tune to the channels and the, the periodicals and the newspapers that tend to present the opinion that we agree with most. Now, now you, Bloomberg, you, you cover several mediums. You've got radio, you've got television, you've got internet, you've got print. So how does the role of commentary, social and political, change uh, from medium to medium? So we're very, very lucky in that we have a separate, a separate channel of the business called View, which is our receptacle for all things commentary, and therefore, you know, it's it's our version of the editorial page. That, you know, that separation, that what I like to call the line between church and state, we have a perfect vehicle for that. On the TV side. Uh, it's very important and always crucial to for people who are commentating to label them as such, as commentators. Um, and, and how that's dealt with on radio is, is the same, is that distinguishing the line between a reporter and a commentator. This is a reporter saying you know, what they've found out in the field, and this is someone who's analyzing and opining on what has been happened in the field. And, and we try to carve out distinct roles for people and to really not get those at all intermingled. Excellent. And so what is, uh, in broadcast, what is the role of a host in, in corralling and presenting and identifying that information? You know, one thing I think that is fascinating is, you know, when you're reporting on something like a political campaign, everybody becomes commentators on the sheer state of play as it is. You know, it's, it's a horse race. It's this person's winning, this person's losing, this person's had a good day, this person's had a bad day. So I think there is a relative objectivity in, in the state of play as it is, and that's what um, most people are interested in. But in terms of um, corralling sort of informed and educated analysis and opinion, you know, that's where... You know, we seek out and try to find, you know, the best people in the field who can help us in terms of what their background is, what they're best known. And, and mostly, I think, people who've gone through this before and aren't going to be too stunned or surprised or fall over backwards by the twists and the turns that we've seen. And there's been more twists and turns in this cycle than we've probably ever seen before. Sure, sure. And so so as far as interpreting polls and and saying, you know, this candidate had a bad day, this candidate had a good day. What is the the risk of influencing uh, the election? We've heard a lot from the candidates uh, on on both sides of the aisle complaining that the media is trying to not be objective and completely steer the direction. How do you how do you address that? I think that's a really really important point, and I think that uh, you know. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm also a U.K. citizen, and so I recently uh, was back in England for Brexit. And I and I think that you know when you look at the polling on that, one of the things that's really fascinating is just you do always wonder. Well, look, was the polling that showed that England was more likely to remain? How did that impact turnout? How did that impact um, how people actually showed up on the day? And I think that every person who's 
even tangentially connected, we run our own polls, other mediums run their own polls, is really, really cognizant of that fact that we need to make sure these, these polls have been shown in recent um, elections and recent referendums to be widely off and that there's no question that global polling, is, there's something a little bit broken in it. And we'll see again with this election whether or not uh, that's representative in the polls. But I think it is very, very healthy that there's a, there's a very strong understanding among people that we do not take these polls anymore as Bibles. You know, maybe a decade ago when people had landline phones and you called and you talked to the guy. It's just not the case, and the trending on polling has been so dire, frankly. So I think that it's, it's, it's a very healthy state that people are seeking to make polling better, that they understand exactly the import of it, that we're constantly tweaking our models. We actually we did a poll this week where we changed the weighting on likely voters uh, because of educational level. You know, there's constant sense of improving that to make these models as representative of the public as we think they can be. That being said, there's also an understanding that they could be wrong, and we've seen it so many times recently. But I think people are people understand the importance and they understand the gravity. But it is something that occupies a large part of my mind on a daily basis. And, and, and as far as the, uh, the the personal side of journalism, uh, taking things out of politics more into the the social issues and society realm, uh, that journalists can often bring issues to the awareness of the public, but it seems that commentators can really dive into issues and offer more uh, detail, and sometimes in that case, I think that the bias is a really good thing. So what has been your experience as far as commentary on, on social issues? Commentators can be crusaders. You know, commentators can take up an issue and transform the public. Commentators can find an isolated case of injustice, a mass case of injustice, a an issue they long to write and pursue it in, in a moralistic way. And I think there is a huge role in media for that. Uh, it is a very different role, you know, than a journalistic role. But And that is why there is such a, such a, uh, an important dividing line between the two. But it is important to have people put their put their metal where their mouth is. You know, for example, what we see in the campaign is, you know, Donald Trump almost runs a commentary style campaign in that <laughs> the belief is that it is a movement. It is not a campaign. You know, it is a movement. You saw some of Bernie Sanders supporters that it was much more akin to a movement. In my experience, you know, there is a profound disruption going on in the media landscape and the political landscape and the socioeconomic landscape of America. And more people do seem to be identifying with movements in, in, in a way that we haven't seen in this country for, for a long time. And that is what, you know, commentary can do. Sure, sure. And and your what you mentioned at the top about social media and blogging having just giving everybody a platform is one role of commentary, taking everything that is out there and kind of uh, aggregating it and, and, and putting it together to uh, to tell a story and raise the consciousness. I worry about this uh, quite a lot in terms of whether or not there is an ability to harness or capture this, this disruption that's taking place. It, it, I think it's so difficult for people because so, so much people just don't want things to change, even though they've changed 
forever. So people still perceive things, view things from their traditional point of view. And I think that's the real challenge of facing is, you know, perhaps we do live in a society now that is much more rawly democratic, for lack of a better word, than we actually thought it was. You know, when I look at the U.S. election and I compare it to Brexit, for example, you know, was that a rep- was that just an undercurrent that, you know, not at all seen, measured until the very moment it happened? And I'm not sure we're kind of at a point yet where we actually have the ability to harness it because it just it's it's actually going on as we speak. And I think that I think it will be in in three years' time and five years' times we'll look back and say, wow, that was a real profound moment of dislocation and disruption. And we see it now. I think it is really difficult to do it while it's happening. And I, I'm not sure we're quite there yet. Well, absolutely. I mean, it is constantly changing. It's so frenetic. It, it would be next to impossible. When you are planning, uh, you're, when you're planning the content, the editorial and the news content that you're putting out, what are the top things that you consider as it relates to politics and as it relates to commentary? I think for, I mean, content, the biggest thing that we're focused on is trying to tell the real story of this election and trying to tell, weave in the narrative. I mean, for me, what is most important is that our content reflects these profound disruptive forces that have reshaped the American socioeconomic landscape and trying to make sure that we are saying it is telling the personal, profoundly powerful narrative of how we've come to a point where so many people feel disconnected, dislocated, disaffected with what we have traditionally called the American dream in this country, how these changes have happened, whether that's in our labor force, whether that's in um, how people work, whether that's in the cost of living, whether that's in wage suppression, low growth globally, you know, and sort of connecting all the dots of what actually is a similar story that's playing out in nearly every Western democracy and creating so many of the same forces that have propelled a Donald Trump candidacy, a Jeremy Corbyn candidacy, a Bernie Sanders candidacy, and really trying to tell that much broader picture of America reflected through the eyes of politics, because I think that that for us is just is really the goal. And in terms of in terms of commentary, which is a diverse you know, there's a diversity of people. The big thing is is trying to get in stuff that's gonna surprise people. That's what Bloomberg strives for. Um, try to make people smarter. That's fantastic. In the end it all boils down to the human experience, both on the micro and the macro level. And I guess that's the name of the game. Yeah. Megan Murphy, thank you so much for being on the show today. I so appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks so much, Shannon. For Update One, this is Shannon Fisher. My guest was Megan Murphy, the Washington Bureau Chief of Bloomberg News. And thanks for listening. You have been listening to Update One a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Committee. You can comment on this show or any episode of Update One by going to facebook.com slash pressclubdc or on Twitter at pressclubdc. Thanks for listening to Update One.